helping disciple-makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome to the Disciple First Podcast. It's a podcast by disciple-makers and for disciple-makers. And my name is Craig Etheridge. I'm your host today. And I'm here with my good friend, Eddie Broussard. Eddie grew up in Houston's Third Ward and became a Christ follower at an early age. Uh, By the time he got to Texas A&M to study pre-med, he was being discipled by a group of navigators, and his life completely turned around. He delayed his dream of going to med school to gain more training in how to make disciples, and eventually joined the Navigator staff in 1980. Uh, Currently, Eddie serves on the Navigator International Executive Team and oversees uh, multiple continents of disciple-making ministry. Uh, He has a master's from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago, is the author of the book Beauty in the Desert, and he lives with his wife, Barbie, in Colorado Springs. So, Eddie, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the program. Craig, it's always a good day when we get a chance to connect, brother. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Uh, Eddie, you and I have spent several years just uh, walking together and and talking about disciple-making. You came to one of those very first Flashpoint conferences many years ago. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm so glad. That... And it was it was quite a memory too. <laughs> well, I'm glad to glad to talk to you again, my friend. And uh, today, what we're going to talk about is uh, resolving conflict in disciple making relationships. Uh, a lot of times, uh, pastors are making disciples, individuals are making disciples, and seem to get caught off guard when things don't go so well, or or things go sideways from a relational standpoint. And so I, I, I want us to kind of, I want you to kind of unpack that for us, Eddie, from your own experience and then just as a leader, um, how do we resolve conflict in disciple-making relationships? Craig, thank you so much. And, and let me just say, as I, as I enter into this conversation today, that we should see conflict resolution as part of discipleship itself. You know, one of the very first passages uh, I came across related to this subject, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, makes it very clear to us, you know, if you come and, and come to, to the Lord to, to bring your gift and there remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your gift there at the altar and you first go and be reconciled to your brother, then you return and offer your gift. We think that we can just kind of go on with the mission, go on with quote-unquote discipleship, when some of the very foundational realities of relationship in Christ, the, the relationships horizontally that we have with one another, are crucial, and those are so important, they are part of discipleship. So it's not something that we can sweep under the rug. And I know in my weaker moments, I just hope the thing would just go away. Yeah. And, and I could just let it go. But what I see is the Scripture encouraging me to not just sweep it under the rug, but for me to be the one to take initiative to deal with the issue. 
And is that um, is it, it, obviously that affects you as a person? You know, if you sweep it under the rug, if you don't deal with this, this is hindering your walk with God, isn't it? It absolutely does. And as a matter of fact, I was just thinking through a, a series of things, Craig. I found that helped me uh, in in my current disciples discipling relationships, both here in the U.S. and abroad. And one of the very very simple very simple ideas or principles of wisdom that helped me out of Proverbs 19:11. And here's what it says: A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. So, Craig, in, as I'm going through relationship and I find myself being offended, then this is my first stop, Proverbs 19:11. It is to a disciple's offense, to o- a glory to overlook an offense. And so it should always be my first desire to overlook an offense. And so when I feel something in my spirit that doesn't feel good or right, behind something that has happened or something that has been said by a friend or, or someone I'm in a discipling relationship with, I need to first be honest with myself and my spirit and say, there's something going on here. And then my very next step is to say, Lord, before you, I'm just going to overlook that and give my brother or sister the benefit of the doubt. They were having a hard day, et cetera, et cetera. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, what I find, Craig, is Either I am able to do that and I move on, or there are times when I find this thing keeps coming back up within me. And when it does, and I can't put it to rest by overlooking it, then that's where I have to go to the next step. Yeah, and uh, the next step, uh, I guess Matthew 18, the next step is, is pursuing a face-to-face confrontation? Bingo! You took you well. You and I have had these conversations. So you know that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. Matthew eighteen is exactly the next several steps, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the scripture says in Matthew eighteen that if we if there's an issue like this that comes up, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault between the two of you. Now, see what oftentimes happens is I got a problem with somebody, and I go talk to someone else about it. And and the scripture says, if there's an issue, I go and talk to my brother about it, not three other people. And so a disciple of Jesus that is walking in love with with one another, we are first going to go just with the two of us and have a conversation about what happened. And when I'm going to do that, Craig, I always try to remember, you know, if I'm going to go to someone about an offense, let me go to them in the same spirit of love that I would hope someone would come to me in. Mm-hmm. And I always try to temper my words in ways that are, are trying to communicate like I would want to receive it if someone was going to share something with me. And so I always try to go in never being accusing, but more trying to ask a question and have the spirit of appeal not the spirit of condemnation and accusation when I'm speaking with someone. You know, a, a lot of people struggle with that that step of going face-to-face. It's just like, well, you know, I, I'm going to sweep it under the rug, but it's, I'm still mad, and I'm, I'm still talking to everybody else about it. Uh, why, is, why is that face-to-face so difficult? Well, I think because it's what's at stake. 
it, it's a it's a threat to your relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's why in 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 disciple making in particular, relationship is so important. Disciple making is a relational thing. It happens. Discipling happens in the context of relationship. And what I think about is. When I'm discipling someone, if you could look at the relationship, Craig, kind of like a, a cord or a thick rope, I want to weave as thick a rope of relationship when I'm discipling someone as possible because that rope is going to get nicks and cuts in it in, in a relationship when there's conflict that arises. When I've got to go and say to someone, I'm observing something in the way that you've related to me that that I don't think is right as I see in Scripture, and, and I, I need to talk to you about it. When that happens, that's awkward and threatening. It's something we want to avoid because it threatens the relationship, because I'm making a cut or a nick in the rope of my relationship with that person. So if my rope is very thin, when I make that cut and I'm, and I'm going to speak the truth to someone in love, then it cuts through and the relationship fractures. Now, sometimes you can't you just can't avoid that. But I try to always have a good relationship with someone. And then I also, so to speak, try to extend grace to someone by asking them permission before I just barge in and begin to speak truth or, or share with them what my observation is. When you, when you say ask for permission, what does that look like? So I'll be, I'll be uh, in a conversation with someone, and I'll just say, uh, Craig, you and I are talking, so I say, Craig, let me ask you a question. There's some things that I've been thinking about, uh, in particular, the last time we were, to, we were together, there was, there was something that came up in our conversation that left me feeling a bit uneasy. I'd like your permission to bring that up. And I know it's a little awkward, etc., but uh, if you'd rather not, I'm I'm okay with that, but I'd like to I'd like to get your permission to do this. Would that be okay? Or just say, would it be okay if I brought something up that might be a little uncomfortable here? But it just gives a person an opportunity to say yes or no, and to be willing to receive or to not. Yeah, it seems like and a very so, honoring thing to do, right? To to say, hey, I, I'm going to be honoring in the way I talk to you about this, and this is going to be a one of those tough conversations, but is that okay for you to come with me? It seems to be a little bit disarming. I, 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 I would totally agree with that. It's, it's honor and respect for another person, and it's not just barging in and assuming because I have the Word of God, I thereby have authority to speak into your life when you may or may not have given me that, that uh, invitation. Mm-hmm. So you, have, you first go to the person... Uh, you you take the deep breath. You you set the appointment. You go to coffee. You do what, how? I mean, it, obviously, it's not over text. It's not over Facebook. It's not it's not you know direct message. It's it's face to face, and you say, "Hey, I, absolutely, I, I, I want to talk to you about this uh, something that bothered me and and our relationship matters to me, and I want us to just get it out in the open." And and let's say you get into the conversation and. Um, Man, if it goes great, you resolve it, praise God. But what if it doesn't? What if you still are at odds uh, after that conversation is over? Right. And let me just say one thing as a little bit of a short running start into my response. And that is before I go 
to speak to someone about something like this one-on-one, I will, I will always pray, and if it's a substantial issue, I will even fast and really ask God to go before me and prepare the heart of the person for what I've got to bring to them. And I have, I have, I have seen miracles happen when I've prayed and really asked God. And if there's one, other, one or two other confidential friends, I won't tell them what the issue of the person is, but I'll tell them I've got a big issue coming up. Pray for me at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. And they will pray. They don't need to know details, but they will, they will pray for me. So that's one thing. So now if I go into the situation and the person does not respond well, and, and they're saying, look, I disagree with you. Look, you have no business saying this, blah, 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 whatever their response or disagreement is. Then it, I, I graciously uh, conclude my time with them. Then I go, verse 16, but if he will not listen, this is Matthew 18:16. but if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And see, I think this issue of the witnesses is very important in this kind of a thing because uh, so many times in this kind of a situation, it's good for another perspective to look and listen and draw out. Uh, the other person and help the other person. When I've been in situations like this, I've, I've seen another brother or sister coming alongside me. They will see something I don't see and be able to draw the person out from a different perspective and help bring resolution to it. And so the other thing is that I don't have all the spiritual gifts. And, and so as, as gracious and truthful as I want to be with an individual, I'm only going to be as only, only as good as I can be. And that's why I need my other brothers and sisters who can come in and stand by me and walk with me into this situation to help out with it. And so that's what I would do next. Yeah, I guess the perspective is is key there, right? Because we, we just kind of see it from our vantage point in and uh, another brother may be able to say, hey, you know, that's not really what he said. Or, you know, Craig, you're just kind of looking at it this way. Uh, why not pivot and look at it another way? So the, the counsel of other godly people getting involved um, is really important. But we have to say, I guess, openly that these this can be messy, can it? You know, people don't want to talk yes, face to face, and they don't want to get with other people, and and it can it can be a lot of work to even have these conversations. Well, it, it is, and you know, Craig, I've seen situations where people just refuse, and you know, because it can be threatening to meet with two people, with two or three people. So mm-hmm. it's two against one. Oh, so that wasn't good enough. So now you're going to come and gang up on me. Mm-hmm. And I've had these kind of uh, times where. I'm trying to follow the biblical order, and people just genuinely feel jumped, you know, ganged up on. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I understand that on one level. But so maybe you bring two people and not three people. But still, uh, these are the words of Christ. And so I'm, I'm going to be sensitive to another people, but in the, at the end of the day, I'm going to probably go with the words of Christ in how I'm going to approach dealing with a difficult situation. Because I know people have felt threatened. They say, hey, look, you're going to come here with another person, and you two are going to gang up on me, all of this. Okay, well, fine, but then you pick the other person. Right. And then the two of us will come in, and we'll do it like that. 
I mean, I, we, you can do this a lot of different ways, but you're absolutely right. It, it gets very messy because oftentimes in these kind of situations, a person feels wounded or both people feel. I feel wounded and the person I'm speaking to can feel wounded. And so how do we come into the situation in obedience to the scriptures and the word of Christ, but as wise as we can to apply the principles of, of Christ's words and wisdom to this present situation we're in? Now, sometimes the, even that meeting doesn't go well. Um, I, I'm thinking about Paul and Barnabas. I mean, these are great men, godly men, that just seem to separate for a period of time. I'm thinking about, and of course, that was over Mark's um, failure in that first trip, and there seems yes. to be some reconciliation at the end when Paul asked for him, asked for Mark. But um, how, yeah. have you seen situations go where, you know, maybe the, maybe even the, that meeting of three or four didn't play out like you had hoped? Yes, yes. It, it could be, um, you know, there, there are situations, and, and there, there are different kinds, if you will, different levels of conflict. Um, there could be issues, uh, and, and what I'm saying is this, Craig, there are issues around which we break fellowship. There are issues around, around which we agree to disagree on these issues, and we're able to move on. Where there is sin involved, where there is uh, or, or a clear uh, stepping away from sound doctrine to embrace something that is that is, un, that, is, that is not, as Titus 2 would say, sound doctrine, then at that point we may have to break fellowship, and then we may have to go on to the next point where if he, fuses to, if he refuses to listen to them, to the two or three witnesses, then tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a, a pagan or a tax collector. Now, there are issues around which we break fellowship, when there's sin involved and there's a lack of repentance and, and these sort of, of more significant issues, then there are some issues over which we break fellowship. And we say, I'm sorry, but I've got to follow the mandate in, in Matthew 18 and in other passages and with, with Paul and 1 Corinthians and so on, where we will say, look, 1 Corinthians 5, I'm thinking of in particular, where we say, look, we are not we, we just we cannot have fellowship anymore, and that's the way this is going to be. And the, the thing I think that's important in the tone of what I share with someone, because I, this is not theory. I mean, I've had to do this. I've been involved on boards uh, at, at our church, and I've, I've led situations of discipline with, with members in the church who were in sin, and were, some were repentant, some were not, and it just gets to be very, very challenging at times. Uh, when you do that, but it's the goal is always the restoration and reconciliation of the person. The purpose of discipline, in this sense of discipline, is always the restoration of the person, not just to throw them to the wolves, mm -hmm. but to give them an experience of consequence uh, to the to their fellowship with other believers that God takes this seriously, and He expects us to take it seriously. And so there may be a period of time where we're going to have to say, I'm, I'm going to have to step away from fellowship with you uh, until we can see 
uh, you realize what God is actually saying in this matter, and that you really respond to it in a, in a godly way. And I've seen situations where people just go off and they never come back. I've seen situations where people go through very hard times, but come back with a really repentant spirit, and they realize, you know, God was really speaking to me, and I was just rebelling, and God brought me to my senses, and I'm coming back, and I, wanna, I want back in. And in those kind of cases, boy, you just have a wonderful reconciliation, and it's a wonderful time, but it doesn't always turn out that way. Yeah. You know, I was just talking with a friend over lunch the other day, and he talked about how his parents had kind of gotten sideways with a pastor, and and they kind of separated for a period of time, but but God began to work on their hearts uh, separately, and, and they had uh, a meeting, and they were able to extend forgiveness to each other, and he just talked about how sweet it was to see that reconciliation happen. I mean, he, he had tears coming down his cheeks talking about how, how sweet it is when, when there's reconciliation. And that really is the heart of the gospel, isn't it, to reconcile? And Absolutely. Obviously with God, but with each other. Um, yes. Eddie, let me, let me ask you another question, because people listening to this may say, okay, check, I did that, check, I've done that, check, I've done that. And, and I've, okay, I, I think I've done everything I can to reconcile the situation, and yet this person has taken off, or they, you know, I invested in them, and then they, they just spun around and, and stopped walking with God, or, or they, or even turned on me, or hurt me, or said hurtful things. Um, that's going to happen when you invest in people relationally. Yes. How, do you, how do you keep, as a disciple maker, how do you keep from getting bitter when when those types of things happen yes well i think there are there are a few things that uh continue to help me in my own life and in my uh, my journey as as a disciple maker uh, by god's grace and that is i realize that i have to walk in uh like uh like john 8 831 says if you continue in my word then you are my disciples indeed. And part of the word of Christ is teaching us about spiritual warfare. And I've got to know that in spiritual warfare, I am working with the guy and he's making progress and then he's right back into pornography again. I'm working with a guy, he's doing well for a while and he's back on drugs again or back sleeping around with different people again. All right, and that is so discouraging. But what I uh, have to know is that the, the arena of spiritual warfare, which is the, the, which is the area in which discipling is going on, is, it, it's, it's a constant fight. And it will not be a perfect, clean battle in any case. And so I, there are things I need to know about the journey, about things that are affecting another person. I need to know also that human nature is also very complex. A person's psyche is complex. When a person, when I begin to disciple a person, I am just getting to know their past. There are times when a person hits something that triggers them, and it might set them back 18 months in their growth with God because it'll take him 18 months to two and a half years to work through the pain of something that just came up in their memory 
when this got triggered and it brought them back to some hugely painful experiences in their life that is that challenged even their view of God, their view of themselves, their view of their parents, all kinds of stuff like that. And these are things we just have to have, we have to create space for in our idea of disciple making. We have to disciple people in the real world. Mm-hmm. And in the real world, even Jesus, the master, lost one of his disciples. Mm-hmm. So that helps me to have a bit more of a realistic picture of what's going on. And I think the other thing for me is is faith in the promises of God and perseverance. You know, God, you know, passages like John 15, 16, you know, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And so I am holding to the promise that God wants to give us lasting fruit. And so I'm continuing to pray with this person. If they are gone astray for a while, I continue to reach out to them. I continue to hold them up before God. But ultimately, I cannot control what happens. And that's the place I've got to come to in my faith, is that I have got to trust God. I've got to walk, and I've got to do, and I've got to love people. But the results are in God's hands alone. And I have to trust him with that. Yeah, I think Paul talking about I, I, I planted Apollos water, but God causes the growth, and uh, yeah, ultimately yeah. we're in partnership with the Holy Spirit in this whole endeavor, and the results have to be left in God's hands. And uh, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, when we put our head on the pillow at night, the best we can do is say, "Lord, as best I know how, I've tried to be obedient to you and and follow um, in your steps and resolve this conflict." And my heart is and my motives are clean before you, and uh, then entrust the Lord that uh, this person to the Lord that God is going to continue that work. That same Holy Spirit that's in you is in them, and. And he's gonna he's gonna complete what he's started in their life. Absolutely, and I think the onus of that's got to be on God. That's not my burden to carry. Mm-hmm. That's He's the one, you know, as you quoted in Philippians one six, He's the one that will bring that work to completion to the day of Christ. That's mm-hmm. not my job, but I do have a role to co-labor with God by His invitation, and that's why I can get to in, be engaged in discipling in another person's life. Eddie, let me ask you one more question. Um, there are going to be pastors listening, uh, leaders listening to this podcast, and they're in the middle of some conflict, uh, maybe with people they're discipling or people on their staff team or um, in, even in their home. And what encouragement would you give them as can we wrap up this conversation about uh, the conflict that they're dealing with? Yes. Well, uh, there are a couple of things that kind of kind of keep me going because conflict is inevitable. I mean, it's not if I'm going to have conflict, it's just when it's going to happen. And one of the things that I think encourages me as much as anything else is to know that when I'm dealing with a conflict, God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he is always at work in my present difficulties to form Christ more, more perfectly in me. And it always helps me in the midst of conflict to know that whether what I'm proposing and what I'm trying to work toward is right or whether I'm wrong 
in a, in a particular conflict or difficulty, that Christ is at work in me, and the Spirit of God is at work shaping my character to look more like the character of Christ. And so that no matter which way the conflict comes out, I come out a winner as long as I'm submitted to Jesus and I'm committed to opening my heart to him that even when I'm wrong and I'm humiliated in a given situation, that in my humility, Christ will meet me and he will form Christ. He will build wisdom more deeply into my heart of hearts as I submit to him in the difficulty of a conflict situation. So I come back to Isaiah 64, 8. Oh, Father, you are the potter. I am the clay. I'm the work of your hands. And when I'm in conflict, I feel vulnerable. But you, the potter, are working and shaping the clay of my life so that it looks and smells and tastes more like Jesus. And that's true right in the middle of a conflict I'm in. Uh, amen. Thank you so much, Eddie, for talking us through this really tangled topic of resolving conflict in disciple-making relationships. Maybe you're listening today and you want to know more about how to resolve conflict or more just about how to make disciples and make disciples. Go to disciplefirst.com. It's your one-stop shop for disciple-making resources, disciplefirst.com. Also check out the Flashpoint Conference. The Flashpoint Conference is a place where you get to be with people like Eddie and others that are practicing disciple makers and leaders, and they're doing it right in the local church. So look for a Flashpoint Conference coming to a city near you. And until then, go make disciples.